Hey everyone, Alexa here. Ryan is here with us again this week. Hey. And um, I just wanted to say real quick, we are at, I think, over 500 downloads. So thank you guys so much and keep supporting us. Um, and I appreciate all of you. So um, I'm just going to jump in to this week's case. The story takes place in Cherry Log, Georgia on October 7th, 2001. So Cherry Log is a town in the North Georgia mountains. It's located just a few miles south of Blue Ridge. In the 2010 census, the population of Cherry Log was 119. Hey, babe. Hey. How far is Cherry Log from the house? <laughs> I don't know, like mm, 10 minutes. Okay. <laughs> I'm bad with miles and stuff, so that was a guess. And I definitely wasn't going to give it in miles. <laughs> I have to give it in minutes. So definitely the smallest town that we have talked about so far. Um, and before we get into the nitty gritty of what happened on October 7th, 2001, we are going to rewind so we kind of get a feeling for who we're dealing with here. Okay. So William Emmett. LaCroix Jr. was born in 1970 in Marietta, Georgia to William Emmett LaCroix Sr. and Donna LaCroix. His home life was pretty much anything but idyllic. Um, kind of sucked. Um, his father, who we will call Sr. to avoid confusion, one day, I will tell you a story where everybody's name is not exactly the same or starts with the same letters, uh, but today is not that day. Not that day. It makes it very complicated. I know. That's why I Simple-minded people Since like me. Last week we had Billy, Billie Jean, Jeanette, Jamie, <laughs> Buddy, Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> I figured um, I would just give him a new name. So we're just going to call him Senior. Okay. So growing up, Senior lived in a family that was described as without limits or boundaries. Um, the house was full of issues with gambling, money, and allegedly just had readily available weapons. Don't know what that means. I'm guessing just guns laying around. Knives. This was senior? Yes. The father. The father. And Marietta. Yes. Okay. Okay. Multiple family members exhibited suicidal behavior. I also don't know exactly what that means. Like if they were, like had suicide attempts or if they were like cutting their wrists or, you know, taking pills, you know, or, um, but apparently that was just commonplace. All of the children were... Hardly supervised at all. So it was like a free-for-all. It was said um, in his family that cousins had sex with each other and engaged in sexual behaviors that sometimes were almost right in front of their parents and nothing was said. That's strange. Yeah. I would expect that in Cherry Log more than Marietta. Like, I don't know if where he grew you? up in Marietta. That's just where Junior was born. Uh, starting off strong. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter. Where it was, I guess. This is just what was happening. I don't know. I'm talking about the incest, not that you're... Oh, I thought <laughs> you were saying great. You're already confusing me. No, Start no. over. Doing great, babe. All right. Thank you. So, all of the male members in his family were also sexist, um, saying that if it weren't for sex, women would have a bounty on their heads. So, really rounding off a good little trifecta of abuse, incest, and sexism. Great. Yeah. Great role models. Yeah, solid. What would they have on their head? A bounty. 
Oh, as a bouncy. Yeah. Bounty. <laughs> a bounty on their heads. So it was no shock that when he got married and had a family of his own, Senior was controlling and abusive. He would constantly interrogate his wife and question her about the possibility that she was cheating on him. But there was never any evidence um, that she did. He was just being crazy, paranoid, and controlling. Aside from seeing the abuse that his father had upon his mother, he claims that he, too, was being abused. So this is LaCroix Jr. we're talking about now. Okay. He says that when he was eight years old, he was sexually abused by a babysitter he called Tinkerbell. He said that him and his brother would play a kissing game with her where they would run up and kiss her and run away. I do want to put out a little disclaimer that the next part deals with child abuse, sexual assault. So if you want to skip a little bit, go ahead. I'm going to push on Um, because this is pertinent to the case. Very much so. So LaCroix says that one night Tinkerbell came into his room and told him that he had to, quote unquote, know how to do it right in reference to the kissing game. So she began kissing him, undressing him, and then performed oral sex on him. And he's eight. And he's eight. A week later, she molested him again. And the day after that, he went to visit Tinkerbell um, because she lived just in the apartment above him. But he saw her walking down the stairs with her boyfriend, and he said that she gave him a, quote, malevolent smile. The family moved a week later, uh, had nothing to do with the molestation because he never told anybody what happened. They just happened to move. And uh, after that, he never saw her again, um, but his home life never got better. When his parents decided to divorce, Senior threatened to rape and kill his wife and her co-workers. I'm not sure if um, he thought something was going on with one of her co-workers or if he was just crazy. They were kind of motivating her to leave. Like yeah. she was talking about how bad the family life was and They're like, they talked it into on. it. Yeah. yeah, it has nothing to do with the fact that you're controlling and abusive. Of course, it's somebody else. Mm-hmm. So he did end up putting a gun to Donna's forehead but he ended up giving the gun to his son, Junior, uh, to keep him from shooting her. So also traumatic, like seeing your father put a gun to your mom's head um, and then him just giving you the gun to keep him from killing your mom. Um, Senior and Donna finalized their divorce when he was 17 years old. And later that year, he joined the army and was stationed in Hawaii. Early on in his military career, LaCroix broke his ankle, which ended his dream of becoming a paratrooper. Um, but he, I guess, did other army things instead of jumping out of airplanes helicopters whatever um so while he was in hawaii he began drinking a lot and doing drugs and ended up going awol to survive he started living on the streets of honolulu and would just break into homes to steal food he was arrested two years later when he was 19 years old and he accepted a discharge from the army if you're following he joined the army when he was 17 and accepted a discharge when he was 19 so didn't last very long Well, he went AWOL before that, right? So dishonorable yeah. discharge. That's yeah. not very good. Right. Um, so I guess the charges were filed because he ended up going back to Georgia to live with his mom and his new stepfather, a man named Sam Houston, who was her ex-husband's former police partner. Mm. Mm. Senior might have been on to something what a, or just a big coincidence. Huh? Yeah. No, so Senior was a cop? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's not confirmed if they were having a relationship beforehand or what, you know. Or if it's a coincidence. Right. Upon returning home, William, who's junior, began a sexual relationship with his 13-year-old stepsister, Alicia. He started this relationship after learning that his brother, Chad, had a sexual relationship with their other stepsister, Priscilla. And I'm not sure how old Chad and Priscilla were, but um, William and Alicia, I mean, William was 19 and he and she was 13. 
And I couldn't find if it was, quote unquote, force or what. Um, All I could find was it was referred to as a sexual relationship. But obviously, a 13-year-old can't consent to sex. Um, So even if it wasn't force, I mean, it was rape. Because it's messed up that a 19-year-old would even be with a 13-year-old. Nonetheless, his freaking stepsister, like... Did the parents know? Thank you for asking. What a great question. Great question, babe. (laughs) So the family found out about the relationship when Alicia's mother, uh, who was Sam Houston's ex-wife, found a letter from Alicia to her friend detailing the sexual encounters that she had with LaCroix. Her mom reported it to the police and wanted him charged with statutory rape, obviously. Yeah. So around the same time, police were investigating a string of burglaries and LaCroix was identified as a suspect. They arrested him during a traffic stop and they searched his car. They found a gun and holster and several handwritten notes. This cracks me up. Okay. Where are they? Are they still They're in still Georgia. Yeah. Okay. So not in Cherry. Not in Cherry, like yet. Okay. One of the notes had a plan written on it that said, rob cars and kill people driving so the car can be used two or three days. It looks like Peyton's chore chart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Our daughter's chore chart. It said dog's heart. Snuggled, feed, water, play, repeat. (laughs) (laughs) Super cute when you're seven. Not so cute when you're, you know, 19. (laughs) Yeah, stealing cards and stuff. So another note was a plan in case he got caught. And that note said, burglarize house, flee and switch cars, be ruthless and famous, and rob, rape, and pillage. Like he's a Viking. Yeah, what is this? (laughs) Yeah. So, the last handwritten note was titled HL, which was determined to be a hit list of people that he wanted dead. (sighs) I love when criminals are just so dumb. (laughs) Like, do you have to write those steps down? Yeah, they weren't complicated. Yeah, like, can you not just remember that you want to kill? Maybe it's motivation, you know, like, sometimes you put your goals on the mirror. It's like little sticky notes. Little sticky notes. Break, rob, and pillage. (laughs) Can't wait for today. Seize the day. Seize the day. Yeah. Like, can you not remember everybody that you want to kill? Do you have to write it down? That's like, a heck of a list. That is, Do we have the list? No. It doesn't say, like, he was on the list. That's probably good. But he labeled it, like, HL. Like, oh, they're never going to figure out what HL means with just people's names written on it. Like, yeah. I'm so much smarter than these cops. <laughs> so freaking funny. So, after the investigation was complete and all the evidence was analyzed, LaCroix was charged simultaneously for the burglaries and the relationship with his stepsister. Um, so in 2001, at 20 year, at 20 years old, he was sent to prison in Georgia for aggravated assault, burglary, child molestation, and statutory rape. While he was serving his sentence for those crimes, he was charged and convicted under federal law for possession of a sawed-off shotgun, which he had obtained during one of the burglaries. So he was sentenced to an additional five years in prison, in federal prison. He was released from federal custody in August. Um, yeah, that's, that's wrong. That's, that's fake. I wrote down the wrong date. Um, but it doesn't matter. So he was eventually released from federal custody. Um. No less than five years later. No less than five years later. Uh, with a three-year, uh, supervised probation term. Upon release, he moved in with his mom and stepfather again in their cabin on Cherry Log Mountain. So now. So before he lived with dad and stepmom. Now you're saying mom and stepdad? No, he so he lived with his mom and stepdad both times. Okay. But they had moved gotcha. um, in between, like when he was in prison. As a small community, um, it was typical for everybody to know everybody, as we know. Um, so every day when LaCroix would commute to Marietta uh, to work with his father, he would pass his neighbor, Joanne Teasler. 
or Teisler, forgive me if I'm pronouncing it incorrect. And the two would wave to each other, you know, just hey. Um, so Joanne Lee Teisler was born on July 2nd, 1971. She went to Franklin High School, then went to Berry College in Rome, Georgia, where she got her nursing degree. She then went on to get her master's from Vanderbilt University. After graduation, she got a job as a family nurse practitioner at a doctor's office serving the North Georgia cities of Elegia and Blue Ridge. By all accounts, Joanne was a wonderful woman who loved children, animals, her friends, family, hiking, waterfalls, and helping people. So living in the mountains was the perfect place for her. There was even a sign in the doctor's office that said, if you cannot pay for your services, let me know. Joanne. Like, so sweet. One night in early October 2001, LaCroix passed Joanne's house while he was on his way to check his stockpile of survival gear, of course, that he had in the woods. Just in case the government tried to put him back in prison, he'd be prepared to hide out. So he literally, like, got all this, like, I don't know, survival-esque stuff and hit it because um, they wanted him to take, like, a psychosexual analysis thing um, as part of his, like, probation term. Mm-hmm. And he was like... No. And they were like, yeah. <laughs> like, if you don't, you're going back to prison. And so he was like, well, I'll do it later. And they were like, okay. But he obviously had no intention of doing it later. So that's where we're at. So he's like, if they try to put me back in prison and take this stupid psychosexual test, I can just hide out in the woods. I'm so prepared. I'm going to hide out in cherry log. Yeah. Like uh, like the the yeah. Centennial Olympic bomber. Yeah. Just hit in the Nanahala. He was found in Murphy. Yeah. yeah. But you have a higher chance of surviving in the Nanahala because it's a lot bigger than cherry log with the population of 119 people. But I digress. So... When he passed her house, he waved to her, but she didn't wave back. Mm, mistake. Mm-hmm. So later at his hiding spot in the woods, LaCroix heard uh, the sound of someone approaching on the gravel and turned to see Joanne driving toward him in her SUV. Um, Joanne stopped and said, huh, through her half open driver's side window and then just turned her car around and drove away. I probably like, this is weird. But none of my business, so I'm going to go. But how good of a hiding spot is your survival gear? If, if somebody drives up to, on if it? If you drive right to it. That's a good point. I don't know. And I don't know if it was like on her way to the house or she stumbled upon I, I really have no idea the proximity or the location. Top-notch uh, guy here with his WL list and hiding yeah. of survival HL? gear. HL? HL, yeah. What does W stand for? I don't know. Winner's list. <laughs> winning. <laughs> yes, except not winning. Something about this interaction with Joanne disturbed LaCroix and convinced him that uh, Joanne was actually Tinkerbell, the babysitter who had molested him as a child. He just came to this realization or convinced himself of that, I would say. Mm -hmm. So as one does, LaCroix began to suspect that Tinkerbell had been a witch and because she sexually abused him, she'd put a curse on him. This curse uh, that he had been put under as a child was the reason why he had such a hard life and was in trouble with the law. Again, has nothing to do with him. It's this black magic. So because Tinkerbell had been the one to curse him, surely she'd be able to undo the curse. You know? Sounds logical. Reasonable. Um, This is when LaCroix devised a plan to get Tinkerbell, who he thought was Joanne, to reverse the curse. LaCroix's mother and stepfather went out of town for the weekend on October 5th, 2001. And this was the first time he had been left unsupervised since he got out. Do we know how old he is? No, we kind of messed up on him. At least five years, so at least like 24, 25 maybe? Um, no, he, no, he should be like 30. Yeah, because he probably served the sentence and then the federal Well, he was born in 1970. Oh. He's 31. Okay. Yeah. 
So, yeah, so they went out of town. And, I mean, mighty coincidental that that weekend there was a series of robberies in the neighborhood, including the theft of medical supplies, a shotgun, and ammunition. Hmm. You could have done that. On the evening of October 7th, while Joanne was on her way home from visiting her fiancé in Rome, LaCroix broke into Joanne's home through a bedroom window, and he had with him a shotgun, knife, and plastic cable ties. He also made sure to return the open window blinds to their original position so that from the outside, her house appeared undisturbed. No one's more fun he made them. The entire time. So this is what happened next according to court documents. LaCroix was in uh, Joanne's home waiting for her to come home. He heard a car pull up and he became nervous. When he peeked out the window, he saw it was a neighbor, so he continued waiting. He became increasingly nervous and as a result had to use the restroom. Nervous peeps. Oh, yeah. Nervous peeps. <laughs> it happens. So all I'm saying is if you get the nervous peeps um, as you're waiting for someone to come home so you can attack them, you could probably take that as a sign and leave. Yeah. Like maybe you don't want to do this or you're not prepared or you're not as hard as you thought you were, you know? I don't know. Yeah. Just go home. But he didn't. As he came out of the bathroom, he heard another car approach. He went into Joanne's bedroom and could hear her walking up to the front door. As soon as uh, Joanne entered her home, LaCroix hit her in the back of the head with his shotgun, which discharged into the wall. She didn't pass out, but she fell to the floor. Um, LaCroix was wearing his combat uniform and had the collar pulled up to where it covered half of his face and only his eyes were exposed. But he still yelled at Joanne not to look at him. He repeatedly told Joanne, you know what I want. And she replied asking if he wanted money. He said, I want your money. LaCroix then took the plastic ties he brought with him and tied her hands together and then tied her feet together. After binding her, he began to undo her belt and she asked him, is this what this is? Like, this is what you want? And he didn't reply. So she complied with him and, uh, as he took her pants off, but she said not on the floor. So he picked her up and put her on the bed and then raped her. Once he was done, he told Joanne it was her turn to undo it. She had no idea what that meant, obviously. Uh, so she questioned him about what he wanted her to do. He told her that she knew what he meant and they kept arguing back and forth until he told her, you're like, I'm getting pissed off. Like, I'm sure she was getting pissed off. Like, I don't know what you want. Tell me yeah. what you want and yeah. I'll do it. And she had just been raped. Yeah. But she's trying to do, you know, what she can to stay alive. But I mean, how are you supposed to know that this guy thinks you're somebody else? You know? Yep. Molested him when he was a child. Exactly. So she was trying to comply and give him what he wanted, but she couldn't. So after threatening Joanne with his shotgun and her still not, Undoing the curse that he expected her to, he grabbed a cord from a carbon monoxide detector and put it around her neck and told her to undo it or else. She still didn't know what he wanted and there was nothing she could do to appease him. LaCroix then strangled Joanne for a little bit and was just like, like, undo it. And she wouldn't, so he slit her throat as hard as she could and stabbed her in the back five times. She went limp uh, but was still making noises. He walked out of the room to look out the window to see if anybody was around. And was about to walk back in and shoot Joanne, but when he made it to the room, she was dead. LaCroix then wiped the bloody knife off on Joanne's shirt, grabbed her car keys, stole her car, and fled the scene. Joanne's body was found the next day by a real estate agent and one of her co-workers. Two days later, on October 9th, LaCroix was found still driving Joanne's stolen Ford Explorer, trying to cross the border into Canada from Minnesota. Inside the car, he found a knife with Joanne's blood on it, plastic ties, and what else do you think they found in the car? A note. A note. Yeah. Good job. That said, please call the police and report this vehicle as stolen. Thanks. The thief. <laughs> so I was an idiot. 
Why did he go to Canada? He's trying to From flee. Well, yeah. What's wrong with Mexico? Cherry log. Yeah, what? <laughs> Cherry log. I don't know. It's a lot farther to go. In Mexico? Is that what you said? Yeah. Right? I mean, probably. Maybe that's what he's thinking. Oh, they'll think I'm nope. going to go to Mexico, but I'm actually going to go to uh-huh, Canada. I'm going to Canada. Yeah. Okay. Another note was found written on the back of the map that said, please, please, please forgive me, Joanne. And he spelled her name wrong. She spelled it without an E at the end. You were an angel and I killed you. Now I have to live with that and I can never go home. I am a vagabond and doomed to hell. Yes, you are. <laughs> Correct. William Jr. So on May 15th, 2002, a Georgia grand jury indicted LaCroix for taking a motor vehicle by force, violence, and intimidation, resulting in a death. I don't know a lot about law, but I feel like that's a weird thing to be charged with. Yeah. And was it not just murder? Not just murder. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So his defense team set him up with forensic psychologist Dr. Michael Hilton. Not to get confused with Gary Michael Hilton, the serial killer from episode one. I was going to say that sounds familiar. (laughs) (laughs) Um, To get an analysis on him. So Dr. Hilton met with LaCroix in prison for four and a half hours and and prepared some reports for his defense counsel. Um, His report concluded that LaCroix was competent and that he could not present an affirmative defense of not guilty by reason of insanity. The detailed account of what happened on October 7th uh, was told by LaCroix to Dr. Hilton. Like, everything I read you mm-hmm. um, was, like, his account of mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. But it was not admitted as evidence by the defense. His trial began on February 17th, 2004, so three years after the murder. The defense did not talk about the detailed account that he gave to Dr. Hilton. Instead, they argued a boxed burglary defense. So they claimed that LaCroix just planned to rob Joanne's home, but panicked when she caught him in the act and murdered her on impulse and then stole her car so that she could escape. What about the rape? Doesn't that kind of... That was impulse too, apparently. Like, oh, I'm busted. I might as well rape her. Yeah, I guess. Uh, Or they didn't really touch on that. I'm not sure. Yeah, weak. So they tried to use this offense because if he was charged with a carjacking, it would become a federal offense. But rape's not. Or murder. Or murder. So maybe because he carjacked and they would cross state cross lines. Cross state lines, yeah, probably so. So um, in order to get the carjacking charge to stick, it says that the government must prove that at the moment the defendant demanded or took control over the driver's automobile, the defendant possessed the intent to seriously harm or kill the driver if necessary to steal the car. So like that's what they had to prove in order to get the carjacking to stick. So they're trying to say, no, 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 no. Like the carjacking was secondary. Like he was just going to rob her, but then he killed her and then had to steal her car to escape. He didn't go there to steal her car, I guess. How did he get there? Um, I think walk. he walked. Yeah, because his uh, stepfather took their car keys with them. Like, they mm. had two cars. They obviously drove one, but he took the keys, so he couldn't go anywhere. You know, right. obviously they forgot about his legs. So, the defense, um, so that they could convince the jury that the crime had been a robbery gone bad, and that he panicked and then killed her, and that was the only reason, like I said, to take his car, then he could escape the death penalty. So, like, I guess since it's a federal offense, you can get the death penalty. But you could do, you know, if not, then you just get life. So they're trying to get the federal charge thrown out so that death penalty is off the table. Okay. That makes sense. So Georgia, well, certain states have the death penalty. Though. I'm guessing but I think it still has to be a federal charge or like mm-hmm. a capital charge, as they call it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so that didn't work. Uh, and on March 10th, 2004, the jury returned a guilty verdict and he was sentenced to death. 
There were multiple appeals filed on the grounds of ineffective counsel and all, you know, those loopholes, but they were all denied. And they pretty much, like, they didn't use the doctor's statement because he pretty much admitted mm-hmm. everything. the and opposite detail. of what they tried to yeah. say, you know? So pretty much they knew that he admitted to it, so they were just trying to lessen his symptoms by trying to go a different route. I'm assuming there's a lot of other physical evidence outside yeah. of his admission, right, to mm-hmm. be able to convict him on that. Yeah, and I mean, they also found that stupid note literally yeah. saying, forgive me for killing you. So he kind of... pretty damning. Yeah, with his, with his whole notes. In her vehicle. Yeah. It, yeah, exactly. How'd you get this? Hmm. So on September 22nd, 2020, which is just last year, uh, William Emmett LaCroix Jr. was put to death by lethal injection. Good. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And that's it. This is our first death penalty case. Um, most of them have just been sitting in prison, mm-hmm. waiting to die of natural causes or getting shanked or something. Molesting people is a good way to not make it a life sentence. Yeah. In prison. Mm-hmm. So that's it. That's the story of Joanne. I hope I say her last name right. Please don't hate me. Teisler. 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 I feel like that sounds right, but it's T-I-E-S-L-E-R. Like Teisler. If anybody knows, feel free to comment and let me know. Um, as usual, if you guys could please comment and rate, subscribe, follow. Um, even if you're like, I don't ever write anything or leave reviews. I don't either. But if you could this time, that would be cool. I get very excited and I tell Ryan all the things. <laughs> yes, she does. So, and I just thank you guys for your support and come back next week for another episode of Murder in the Mountains. See ya.